You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. church becomes strong in the power of a gospel and becomes very, very effective, it becomes bold. And when it becomes bold and effective, persecution isn't far behind. Know that. Know that, Christian. When you become strong in your faith, when you become strong in what you believe, when you start advancing the gospel by telling your co-workers, by telling your neighbors, by telling those that you love, persecution isn't far behind. And it comes in many, many different ways. Do you ever have that feeling like someone's following you? You look over your shoulder, but you don't see anyone there. However, you still have that sense that someone's watching you. Today, Pastor Dave explores the possibilities of a church on fire for God and how persecution is just waiting to hunt you down. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 19 as he begins his message, The Riot in Ephesus. Today, we're going to be in Acts 19, and we're going to be in verses 23 through 41. While you're turning to Acts 19, if you would, on your way to Acts 19, take a stop at John 18 and 19 and put a tag, all right? But we're going to Acts 19, Acts 19. So if you have your swords handy and ready to go, if you um, will turn and look at Acts 19, beginning in verse 23, I'll read aloud if you want to follow along silently. Acts 19, verse 23, and about that time there arose a great commotion about the way. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Diana, brought no small profit to the craftsmen. He called them together and the workers of similar occupation and said, Men, you know that we have all prosperity by this trade. Moreover, you see and hear that not only at Ephesus, but throughout almost all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people, saying they are not gods which are made with hands. So not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificence destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worship. Now when they heard this, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. So the whole city was filled with confusion and rushed into the theater with one accord, having seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, Paul's traveling companions. And when Paul wanted to go into the people, and the disciples would not allow him. Then some of the officials of Asia, who were his friends, sent to him pleading that he would not venture into the theater. Some therefore cried one thing and some another, for the assembly was confused, and most of them did not know why they had come together. And they drew Alexander out of the multitude, the Jews putting him forward. And Alexander motioned with his hand and wanted to make his defense to the people. But when they found out that he was a Jew, all with one voice cried out for about two hours, great as Diana of the Ephesians. And when the clerk 
city clerk had quieted the crowd. He said, men of Ephesus, what man is there who does not know that the city of Ephesians is temple of guardian of the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell down from Zeus? Therefore, since these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly. For you have brought these men here who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of your goddess. Therefore, if Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a case against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you have another inquiry to make, it shall be determined in a lawful assembly. For we are in danger of being called in question for today's uproar, there being no reason which we may give to account for this disorderly gathering. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. Ooh. Well, if you know me at all, you know that I like food. And one of the things I really like is the food channel. I enjoy the food channel because it's about food. But one of the things I like about the food channel is that they always are showing these recipes. And each time they do, they tell you each ingredient and each thing that is a recipe. Well, yesterday morning, as I was pondering over this message and talking to my lovely wife, Beatrice, as we were having our morning coffee, I wanted to come up with something to kind of, that represented this scriptures that were in, these 20 some odd verses that we're looking at today. And we came up with, I say we, because collectively we came up with a recipe for a riot. We called a recipe for a riot and we made up a list of ingredients like we were making something on the food channel. So let me give you my recipe for a riot here. First of all, you invite some friends and coworkers to a labor union rally at the plant. The second thing you do is you add some angry and emotional workers, you know, angry over job cuts, lost wages, and shrinking benefits. You need a little heat, so you take a fiery motivational speaker who is good at manipulation and placing blame. You whip everything into a frenzy, and you add a dash of confusion. Then you continue to stir until the emotions are at a boiling point. You send in a sprinkle of low management types to calm the situation, and you continue to stir as you point to these low management type salaries as this is the problem. And then, out of all this, you have one frenzied worker throw something and break a window at the plant. And then all you do is stand back and watch the eruption. You have a riot. You have a mob. Ben Franklin once said of a mob, it was a monster with many heads and no brains. A mob is a monster with many heads and no brains. Sounds familiar. But research now, research has found that when a group of people assembled together because of an emotional and angry they have about something, it only takes one act of violence to wimp the crowd into a fury. I mean, others fire, follow the rioter's lead, and they begin to destroy property, and they start to hurt people. A lot of research has been conducted into this mob mentality, if you would say, or the mindset of a violent mob. You know, being part of a group like that can destroy somebody's inhibitions. It, it makes them do things that they might not usually do. I mean, they lose their individual values and their principles, and they adopt the group's principles and the group's values. It just seems to be common knowledge. They're usually there because of destruction, and they want to avoid detection. They don't want to be found out. I mean, this standard can seem just, and it also can seem righteous, because usually the mob is assembled there because of someone being unfairly treated. So it seems right and justice that we would do this type of thing. 
It seems like there's got to be some sort of fairness here. There's a, a communal emotion that makes everything of this cause seem more and more important. And because in the midst of the mob, there's excitement. There's power. There's power in the midst of a mob. And it can make you feel almost invisible. You know, you're, you're part of a large group, but you're not going to be detected. Nobody's going to know it was you that threw this or, or did that or shouted that. You won't be detected. And you might not even be held responsible for your actions in this mob. But something very interesting about a riot The longer it continues, the harder it is to find people to remember while they're doing what they did. The longer it continues, people begin to forget why they're even there. They forget why they're rioting in the first place. They have no knowledge of what has happened. Why they might feel that their actions are justified, they're not able to tell you why they're there or why they're doing this when the riot continues. But the result is usually property damage, and sometimes people get hurt. You know, some people show up just to loot. Some people just show up to reap the benefits, if you will, of a, of a mob or a violent. Many victims of a riot and the violence did nothing to deserve their fate, and they're just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Well, believe it or not, that's where we are in our study today. This is exactly where we are in our study today. We're going to watch the mindset of a mob, and we're going to see just how dangerous an unruly mob can be when a church becomes strong in the power of the gospel. Don't anybody run out that door. But when a church becomes strong in the power of a gospel and becomes very, very effective, it becomes bold. And when it becomes bold and effective, persecution isn't far behind. Know that. Know that, Christian. When you become strong in your faith, when you become strong in what you believe, when you start advancing the gospel by telling your coworkers, by telling your neighbors, by telling those that you love, persecution isn't far behind. And it comes in many, many different ways. This is what we're going to see in our study. You know, Paul spent three years in Ephesus, and it was now winding down. His time as Ephesus had basically come to an end. A mighty work had been started. The Lord had done an incredible work in Ephesus. A church had been firmly planted. A church was firmly planted in Ephesus. There had been a great harvest, not only in Ephesus, but throughout all of Asia as well. Remember when we read verse 10, it said, and this continued for two years so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of God, of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. All in Asia. Paul knew that the Lord had accomplished a mighty work, but he also knew that the Lord was not finished with him. He also knew that the Lord had called him to other things, and he knew that it was time for him to move on to continue to spread the gospel message. So he purposed in his heart to go to Jerusalem and then on to Rome. The Spirit then confirmed it. So Paul purposed in his spirit. Last week, we read these two verses, verses 21 and 22. When these things were accomplished, Paul purposed in his spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. So he sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus, but he himself stayed in Asia for a time. Paul purposed in the spirit to move from Ephesus to Jerusalem and then eventually to Rome. The Spirit confirmed what Paul was, was, was wanting to do. We talked greatly about that last week, how the Spirit, when you purpose something in your heart, you check out to see if the Spirit is really doing that. 
Paul knew he was supposed to move on. So he sends Timothy and Erastus ahead of him to collect financial gifts from those churches in Macedonia like Philippi, Berea, Thessalonica. He's collecting, they're collecting money for them that they might deliver to the Jerusalem church because in the Jerusalem church there was great need. So Paul was moving forward here. He sent Timothy and Erastus ahead, but he stayed behind. He stayed behind and trouble would now find him. One thing we've learned from our study in the book of Acts is that when the gospel is preached boldly, two things usually happen. The gospel progresses, and as I said, persecution follows. The gospel has progressed. The gospel is now throughout all of Asia, and now persecution is on its way. Satan would once again attack Paul and the church. This time, this time as he attacked, though, he would use another method. He wouldn't use some of the same methods. See, he likes to trick us up by changing his method. He likes to change his modus operandi, so to speak. He likes to do different things so we'll get confused and not know it's him. He wasn't coming this time as the deceiver, the father of all lies. He wasn't coming. That's not how he was coming this time. This time he was coming as a destroyer. He was coming as a murderer. He was coming to take Paul down. He was coming to take the church apart. Satan has so many tactics, as I said. And he uses each of them to the fullest to thwart anything that the church is doing, to detract the church, and even derail the church from spreading the gospel. He'll work from the inside if he has to, planting people in here, false teachers, false prophets, people to subvert God's word. He'll do things from the outside. People will come against the church. They don't even know why they're coming against the church, and they'll come against the church from the outside. Satan will put people in those kind of things. Why? Because he doesn't want the gospel message going forward. He knows the value of the gospel message. He knows what happens when the word of God is preached. He he knows that people get strong in their faith and people start to tell other people and things happen. He doesn't want that. He doesn't want that at all. So here in his latest tactic, he's going to gather together a group of workers. He's going to incite them to riot against Paul and the believers. We begin in Acts 19.23. It says, and about that time, there arose a great commotion about the way. A commotion about the way. Remember, the way is another term for Christians. It's another term for the group following Jesus Christ because they claimed that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So they call them the way. We've seen this many times in the book of Acts. It says there was a great commotion. Some of the translation says no small disturbance. It's interesting to me the definition of commotion. According to Webster's 1828, commotion means agitation. It means a tumult of people in disorder. It's a disturbance that leads to sedition and insurrection. And this is my most favorite. Commotion is a disorder of the mind. I like that. As we study this morning, I have six points that I want to bring out this morning about this commotion, and they all begin with the letter C. They all begin with the letter C for you note takers. It's cause, characteristics, confusion, contrast, courage, and calmness. So buckle up. We'll be here for the next six hours. Spend an hour in each one, right? Come on. I'll have pizza brought in. Anyhow, the first C I want to discuss is the cause of the commotion. The cause of the commotion. For three years, Satan has been defeated repeatedly throughout Ephesus and all of Asia. 
Remember, we read earlier that the gospel had spread throughout all Asia. The Lord was making inroads on Satan's territory. He was constantly beating Satan's butt as they pushed further and further into Asia. We saw a couple weeks ago in verses 17 through 20 how those who were practicing the occult, those who were practicing magical things, they took all their books and all their magic things and they burned them in a crowd. And this made, this made the gang start confessing their deeds and magnifying the Lord. This probably took a pretty good toll in the magic book business and it probably hurt their pocketbooks pretty well. This was kind of the start of things. But Satan was strongly defeated, and we read in verse 20, so the word of the Lord grew and mightily prevailed. I love that word. No matter what Satan did, the word of the Lord grew, and it prevailed. I love that. Always remember that. The word of God will always prevail. It will always be there. It will never pass away, never fade away, never tarnish, never grow out of style, never grow old. It will always prevail. And it will always do that which it is sent to accomplish. That's what the word of God does. The church became stronger and stronger in word and deed. And it prevailed against Satan. Hmm. Where have I heard that before? Never heard that before. How about Matthew 16? When Peter makes his beautiful profession of faith about Jesus Christ, who do men say I am? Peter says, thou art the Christ, son of the living God. Jesus says, on that profession, Peter, on that profession that I'm the Christ, I'm going to build my church. And then what he says, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Try as he might, Satan cannot prevail against the true church of God, although he wants to try. He continues to come at the church every single day. He's looking away to bring down any ministry that teaches his word, that teaches God's word. He wants to bring us down. He wants to keep others from coming to God. He wants to keep others from hearing the word of God. I mean, come on. You realize that when you get up on a Sunday morning, some of the toughest things you have to do is just get here. All the things that come in your way and all the things that happen as you try to leave the door on Sunday morning. Try to get here on a Wednesday night and there's a hundred things in front of you that say, I can't go or I shouldn't go. Satan's trying to prevent you from coming. He's ever looking for a way. But when he comes around, we need to stand strong in the power of the Lord. We need to stand strong in the power of his might. We need to stand strong, united, knowing that we have a victory. The victory is ours. The victory is, uh, belongs to us. The Apostle John said, greater is he is who in us than he is in the world, amen. So we have the victory. So Satan now incites these workers to come against Paul. And once again, we see the gospel has an effect on the economy of, an, of a place. We use this verse, or excuse me, we use this quote a while back from R. Kent Hughes. He's a book writer and he said that whenever the preaching of the gospel touches the economic structure of the powers that be, opposition is bound to come. The real cause of this commotion is the effect that the gospel had on people and their lives that were changed. This changed the economy and it changed people's pocketbooks. Paul did not stand in front of the temple Diana and preach. Paul did not stand in front of the temple of Diana and say, everybody that walked in there, you're going to hell if you go in there and worship. He didn't do that. He didn't have all his group walking around with signs protesting the temple of Diana. That's not how the gospel works. The gospel changes hearts, and hearts change the social system. You can pick it until the cows come home. 
You can stand out there on every single corner and picket what you don't believe in or what you think is wrong against the gospel, but until the gospel message hits the heart and changes the heart, social issues are not going to change. It's the gospel that changes social issues because it changes hearts. And that's what changes the world. We Christians need to stand up for righteousness by standing up and telling people about Jesus Christ and getting them saved. The more people that will be saved, the less the social issues are going to be a problem because they're going to start reading the word, they're going to start coming to faith, and they're going to have that biblical worldview that we were talking about with the Truth Project, and they're going to know. How will they know unless someone is sent to them? And how will they know unless they hear the gospel? That's what changes lives, not pickets. The true cause of the commotion was the gospel being preached and people accepting Jesus Christ in their hearts. The heart transplant had taken place. The heart transplant was now secure. Their lives were changed. Their thinking were changed. They no longer worshiped Diana. They no longer worshiped the idols that Diana brought with them. So we know what the cause was. Now let's look at the characteristics of this commotion. And I like to call the characteristics the ingredients of this recipe. Beginning in verse 24, we read, For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Diana, brought no small profit to the craftsmen. He called them together with the workers of a similar occupation and said, Men, you know that we have our prosperity by this trade. Moreover, you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but throughout almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people, saying they are, that they are not gods which are made with hands. So, not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificent destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worship. Now, when they heard this, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Ephesus was the home of one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Ephesus was the home of one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. The temple Diana. The Greek name is Artemis. The temple Artemis. It took 220 years to build this temple. It was 425 feet long and 220 feet wide. It was bigger than two football fields. It had 127 columns. And at the center of this temple was this black meteorite that they had fallen. And it was at the center of the temple. And someone had looked at it and it either resembled or someone fashioned it into this grotesque picture of a woman. The local artisans made trinkets. They made idols. They made different things to the people that would come and look at it, and they sold them. Everybody who came to Ephesus had to have a, a copy of this temple or an idol that they took home. The problem is they worshiped these idols. They worshiped these idols. It's kind of like going to the Statue of Liberty. I'm sure if you went to the Statue of Liberty at one time, you probably saw the little Statue of Liberties that were all over the place that you could buy. Well, that's what was happening at this temple of Diana. They were selling these statues. They were selling these artifacts and these trinkets. You have to have one. So that's what's happening here. And they're taking these things home and, uh, and, and worship them. Only hopefully you don't take home the Statue of Liberty and worship at it. And set it with all candles around it and make some sort of a, a big deal of it. I hope that's not happening. You are a 
Thank you for joining us here today on A Sure Hope. In this series, Pastor Dave has been teaching through the book of Acts. This book follows the journeys of many disciples, but especially of the Apostle Paul. He took several missionary trips to tell others about Jesus, and he acquired many companions along the way. Wouldn't it be interesting to be a traveling missionary? He met many people who readily accepted the message he was bringing. In other cities, his life was threatened and he was pushed out as people didn't want to hear about the way. But being a Christian isn't meant to just be an easy road. As Paul's life displayed, you go into it knowing that there will be obstacles that you face. Is it worth it, you might ask? Of course it is. The prize that you'll be rewarded is far more precious than the things of this world. Staying true to Jesus, who gave up everything for you, is the best way you can live your life for Him. We're so glad we got to spend time with you today. A Sure Hope is a ministry out of Calvary Chapel, Cape May, in Cape May, New Jersey. If you're in the area, we'd love to see you on Sunday mornings. Check out AsureHopeRadio.com for service times and directions. Once again, that's AsureHopeRadio.com. And don't worry if you can't make it in person. On the website, you'll notice links to our live stream via Facebook and YouTube. All of these can be accessed through AsureHopeRadio.com. Don't forget to come back next time as Pastor Dave continues to go through the book of Acts again, right here on Assure Hope. Show.